What's up, everyone? Welcome to Box Out Banter. Chris Okamura, Jordan Christmas once again. Jordan, we got some spice today. Yes, I know. List, but first, I just want to do a quick audible. Just stay with me here. I know our listeners want to hear our thoughts so badly on Bruce Brown being traded to the Brooklyn Nets, but I have something to tell you. I saw Aliens last week, last Thursday specifically. Okay, what the James I... Cameron one, right? Uh, no, no, not a, not in the James Cameron movie, <laughs> or um, not. I wasn't observing outside or anything. You know, we're in quarantine. You're, the virus sure. is still surging. So, what I mean by I saw Aliens, I was watching the Thursday night football game between the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans, and then I saw on Twitter just tweets about these two up-and-coming high school prospects and a game on ESPN2. So I turn oh, on yeah. ESPN2, and I literally saw two aliens walking on the court by the names of Chet Holmgren, who is, by ESPN rankings, the number one prospect in the 2021 class, and going up against Amani Bates, who everybody is saying is the best prospect of the decade and yeah. Kevin Durant 2.0. And I got to say where these players are going in the future is absolutely ridiculous. You got Chet Holmgren who posted 31 points, 12 rebounds and six blocks in the game. It was a, a game between YPSI, uh, YPSI uh, prep and a uh, team sizzle, not too familiar with the high with a, uh, I'm familiar with the big high schools, but I wasn't too familiar with uh, Holmgren or Amani Bates and Team Sizzle and YPS, YPSI Prep, but they played on Thursday. It was a battle of the number one prospects. Chet Holmgren, I was very impressed by. 31 points, 12 rebounds, and six blocks. Was handling the ball drib- with comfort and ease, dribbling up the court, taking over in the fourth quarter, stroking threes changing numerous shots on the other end and kind of a reason we were talking about last week why i like pokusevsky is holmgren is obviously a way more advanced version of that but that is why you take a swing on somebody like him but amani bates was impressive too and i came away in this game more impressed a little bit with holmgren although i understand it's one game and i haven't watched that much amani bates tape or film or games so you can maybe expound on him because i know you like him a lot but he was impressive too effortless score both of these kids are competitive as hell they really took this number one versus number one prospect thing to heart they were screaming after every basket every time a teammate scored they were they were into it passionate and just these the way these kids are developing now it's kind of scary but i just i I just wanted to talk about that real quick because these two prospects really were just eye-popping to me and I cannot wait to track these two and I know everybody's watching them because they're number one prospects. I'm just saying, I just saw some freaky stuff on Thursday (laughs) night between these two. Just alien-like stuff. And and I want you to talk to me more about Imani Bates because he is his effortless scoring does kind of remind me of Kevin Durant and that shouldn't be name we throw out lightly but that's what i saw correct me if i'm wrong no you're you're absolutely correct i think the thing that so i personally am an amani bates 
fan. Like I, I've watched a lot of full games of his, uh, and I'm very excited that he's going to Michigan State. Yeah. So like to me, Michigan State's a perfect place where he's going to develop more, uh, like discipline. I think the problem with Monty Bates is he doesn't have like kind of the discipline that you would expect for yep. a player like him. Uh, and he did take. There were a few times in the game last Thursday where he kind of took whenever Holmgren would score a three, for example, he would take it personally and just take a bad shot right. with like 20 with like early in the shot clock and just bad shots. So again, like he, to me, he fits that he fits the Durant, like Ingram style, the long lanky, you know, long arms can get to the basket, three level score, that kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, and I personally, I just think he's so fluid and he gets, he scores so easily. Like you keep saying, uh, the thing he's not as versatile as Chet Holgram. Chet Holgram, I haven't watched enough of. I've seen a lot of highlights. I haven't watched full games of his. But Imani Bates has like the second gear that I, you know, the second gear that you don't see that often. Where if he does take something personally, or if he gets hot, you give just, him the ball. You give right. him the ball, and it's over. It doesn't matter how many people you put on him. It reminds me of uh, like old Trace McGrady, like young Trace McGrady, where he would just shoot over people. Yep. Because like Durant, Durant has all the physical tools, but he doesn't have the aggression that Trace McGrady has, where he just has the confidence to shoot over people. Like Durant yeah. still tries to get around people and still tries to like create space. T Mac didn't give a fuck. He just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he would yeah. just pull up with a dude right on him because he knew he was taller and can jump higher and had the long arms, and so he would just shoot over the top of you, and there's nothing you could do. Yep, Amani uh, Bates just has that constant, that constant, I guess. Not that Kevin Durant, I think he could score over people, but like, remember how in the playoffs, like early in the playoffs, uh, when his last year with the Warriors in a 2018-19, his teammates were imploring him to shoot more. Even his, right. own, his own teammates on Golden State were imploring him to shoot more and stuff. Kevin Durant is the most effortless scorer I've ever seen. The high motor to score, like the Tracy McGrady you're talking about or the Kobe Bryant, uh, Kevin Durant doesn't have that as much, but I definitely see it in Bates. Uh, yeah, 100%. but I just I want to I want to thread the needle carefully here because I who knows if Bates will be even as half as good as Kevin Durant. But in oh terms yeah, we're of just that, saying in terms in of term, what he is now. In terms of is... what he is now, like I see a motor and a hunger within him to score the basketball. I do think he needs to work on his in between game a little bit um, to be because I did. At least in this game, I didn't see it as much, but it seems like that's from people that I read and stuff. It seems like that's a thing he needs to work on is his in between game. But he showed he kind of showed flashes of it in Thursday's game that made you just go, "Oh my god!" Like this is like a legit three level score. But I just wanted to bring that up because I saw some aliens, and <laughs> the the league is man, the league is just going to be in good hands, which is going to start up pretty soon with. Every now everything starting trade rumors everything um it's a good time for basketball right now and a quick turnaround so actually the thing that I do want to bring up too while we were talking about Monty Bates and the thing we're talking about with um Chahongren is how stacked the next maybe two to three drafts are like this draft is kind of weak and we've known that for a couple of years now yeah but the star power and the kind of game changing superstar potential of the next two to three drafts are absolutely huge. Yep. So when we start talking about trade value and we start talking about uh, sort of these draft picks that are coming up, 
it is going to be critically important to keep that in mind. So a team like the Thunder that is accumulating all of these draft picks is going to be in a really good spot moving forward in the next two to three years. Especially if the NBA starts letting high schoolers get drafted again. I think 2022, everybody's kind of hoarding their picks because they don't know if that's going to be the year or not, but it seems like that might be the target year. So that's being held like a rare candy in a Pokemon game. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, to- I totally agree with you and that they're absolute monsters and there's a lot of talent coming up and it's uh it's very exciting to see scary so uh let's talk about the big news of the day the san antonio spurs (laughs) (laughs) i was like i wasn't sure if i wanted to laugh or i was like uh (laughs) no so so big news of the day obviously chris paul yes uh, going to the phoenix suns yep Uh, uh So, Chris Paul, like you said, going to the Phoenix Suns, along with Abdel Nader, who I actually think is on the upward trajectory and developing into a nice 3 and D wing. He's been on that trajectory the last few years in Oklahoma City. The Suns are going to get those two players, and in return, the Thunder are going to get Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, a.k.a. Tsunami Poppy, uh, Ty Jerome, a Jalen LeCue and a protected 2022 first round pick that eventually becomes unprotected in the 2025 year. Um, so first before, before we get into anything, obviously we're going to talk about Chris Paul and the Suns because that's the most important thing here. Yes. But I will say I do like Ty Jerome. I do like Jason LeCue and I do like Kelly Oubre. And, and I think, yeah, I, I think yeah. all solid prospects that can be pluses for the thunder moving forward i don't think the thunder are going to be a bad team again this year i actually like this team a lot especially their identity is clearly going to be defense with uh with this shay my my concern is with shay and seeing if shay can carry the load Mm because now he is truly by himself on offense (laughs) Well, it depends. The Thunder have a war chest of assets now, so they might be angling to get up in the draft and maybe take another ball handler, maybe Lamella Ball, maybe um, Killian Hayes, uh, Tyrese Halliburton, although that'd be funny just basically seeing two copies of Shea Gilgis-Alexander on the court (laughs) at the same time. But yeah, Shea Gilgis-Alexander will be by himself, but I think... He's one of those players where he'll obviously need help. He can't carry the load by himself, but I think he's just such a smart and good player that I think he'll be able to at least develop. He won't be able to hinder his development. Um, where Completely gets, agree. Where it gets really interesting is now with Dennis Schroeder getting shipped. We're going to talk about him later, but we're getting in, getting Danny Green and the 28th pick along with the 25th pick this year. Just the Thunder have accumulated a war chest of assets. They flipped Russell Westbrook for a boatload of first-round picks from the Rockets. And then, remember, when Chris Paul signed that extension back in 2018, or that Supermax in 2018, and everyone was like, this contract's going to be untradeable. Here we are two years later, and Chris Paul was flipped for more stuff. Not just more stuff, stuff that can be moved. Rubio is expiring. Ubre is expiring. You can move those guys if contenders yeah. need players like that. And then, of course, you got Ty Jerome, who is a decent-looking prospect, Jalen McHugh, and we all know how infamous the Thunder's 
uh, player development staff is with developing players, finding guys like Lou Dort, um, for example, undrafted. So it's a great trade for the Thunder still because they flipped Chris Paul's hefty contract. They were able to squeeze another great year out of Chris Paul to get value. And for the Suns, I'm a I'm a huge Suns stockholder. I don't know how much of a fan you've been of the Suns young talent over the last few years, but me in particular, I'm a huge Devin Booker fan. This is perfect for Devin Booker. Getting Chris Paul in you, that organization, one, gives you credence through the rest of the league, signaling that you're ready to take the next step and start winning some games and maybe make a playoff run. You're also signaling that to not only... DeAndre Ayton down the road, but Devin Booker right now, who is just going to start a huge contract, right? And sure. so getting so getting Chris Paul in there gives you a level of respectability, and quite frankly, he's the perfect point guard um, to put next to Booker. I want to go into the lineups, lineup stats, but what was your initial reaction at first blush watching this trade from the Suns' perspective? So I love the trade. I love I I'm not a huge fan of Devin Booker. I think he's talented. I think he's really good. Uh I just want to see a little bit more on the defensive end of the court from him, but I think as a scorer he's inc- obviously an incredibly effortless scorer. Uh I'm a huge DeAndre Ayton guy. So Me too. I I love it. I love the motor. I love his defensive effort. He's become I think quietly one of the best defenders in the league. He went from I, one of the I think he he went from one of the worst as a rookie to to his into his development as a rim protector was night and day this year and i think he's become i don't wouldn't say he became good yet this year i think the leap he made from bad to average was very impressive and that can only mean that it's going to be more positive growth for him down the road i was always a fan of his ability to switch at arizona he might yeah. not have been the rim protector <clears throat> In college, like say Anthony Davis or Joel Embiid, um, when they were in college, but I always saw when Aiton would switch out on the perimeter, that guy can move his feet, and so I wasn't as worried about his defensive stuff as everybody else was. But that, but uh, getting, but uh, Aiton's strides as a defender this year have just been really good. Yeah, absolutely. I think he is to me at least. He's been elite in pick and roll, and again, it comes back to him being able to switch out and get back. It reminds me a lot of Hakeem. Where if you watch old Hakeem Olajuwon, things of him in the pick and roll, he is getting out and being able to get back to his man extremely quickly. And it comes back to Aiton's foot speed, right? That we keep talking yep. about. Yep. The thing that I do think this trade does is it puts Aiton in the best spot to be his the best version of himself. The pick and roll with Chris Paul and him and the, the pick and roll with the pick and pop that he has with the shooting ability, the shooting touch that he has can be dangerous. Yeah, it's especially that I don't... if he makes the commitment to stretch out to three this season, if Aiton does. Right, and it's something that I don't think they could necessarily run to perfection with Devin Booker because Devin Booker is so talented as an ISO scorer that you don't want to put him in constant pick and rolls. But when you have someone like Chris Paul that can run that pick and roll and then you can have Devin Booker off spotting up the corner, which is something that he hasn't been able to do since he was a rookie uh, because of the offensive load that he's had to carry, I think that it puts them in a really good spot. Yeah, and that's uh that's the other thing too for for Devin Booker specifically. I've always been a big Devin Booker fan. I think the label of him being an empty calories guy was always just misguided to me because he had 
league average efficiency, always playing on bad teams, despite being the main focal point on offense. With Chris Paul, you not only get one, obviously, it's an upgrade over Ricky Rubio, who was an upgrade for the Suns last year just by nature of having an adult at the point guard position. Uh, Having Chris Paul as a guy who can score at all three levels, he's one of the best mid-range shooters ever. He is a really good spot-up three-point shooter, and he could shoot threes, albeit slowly, but out of the pick and roll, especially now at his age. Um, he can also, the rim shot, the the rim attempts at the rim, obviously that's going, that's been down the last few years just by byproduct of Chris Paul's age. But it gives Devin Booker, like you said, the opportunity to spot up for the first time since Kentucky and his rookie year, but also to be a secondary playmaker because I think Devin Booker is actually a really good playmaker. He just can't be the guy that could run every, you have to run everything through him while also asking him to be an efficient three level scorer. Now, Devin Booker can get, you know, can get scoring opportunities in different ways. He might be able to attack a closeout. He is a smart cutter when he's able to be off the ball. He can, he can, uh, he can cut off the ball. He can move off screens. Maybe his three point percentage now starts to go up and he starts looking more like the dead eye shooter that we all thought he would be coming out of Kentucky because he's not taking difficult shots. This is just a clean fit everywhere. And the fact that the Suns did not have to give up Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, DeAndre Aiden or Devin Booker to get Chris Paul. That it that to me is a no-brainer deal for the Suns. I want to give you some lineup data real quick. So Ricky Rubio, the lineup of Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and DeAndre Aiden, the lineup that they kind of played with before the stoppage, and then the lineup they straight up went to that was most effective during the bubble. That lineup had a 20.5 net rating. They had an offensive rating of 121.9 points per 100, a defensive rating of 101.3 per 100. So not only could they score efficiently, they could also get stops. Now just take out Ricky Rubio and put in Chris Paul, who is a better shooter than Rubio and all the other things we explained about, plus the fact Chris Paul is a first ballot Hall of Fame point guard that brings leadership credibility. And what you were saying with Aiton, you wouldn't think Chris Paul would be able to help Aiton's development on defense. I think with how Chris Paul communicates, with how smart he is on the defensive end of the floor, how he sees the game, I imagine DeAndre Ayton, if he has the desire to get better like he always says he does, and I really do think he does, he's going to be in Chris Paul's lap all the time. He's going to follow him around the entire season and get just getting pointers from him. And Chris Paul, knowing the tricks of the trade and giving little tips to guys like Mikel Bridges, who is already a great defender. I'm telling, I love this Phoenix Suns team, man. And I might like them more, a little bit more than the Dallas Mavericks giving poor Zingas's health situation. Right. I totally agree with you there. My thing is, does this, where does this bump them up to you? Because to me, it bumps them up to maybe being like a. That's the thing. Seed. The Western Conference is a beast. <laughs> yeah, to me, it bumps them up to maybe being a six seed. Like I could see Dallas falling out. I could see the Thunder falling out. I could see the Trailblazers. I think are going to take a, a step back up if they're healthy. Uh, you know, I think the Suns are right. That's the thing. In- you look down this list. Of, you look down the standings just in last year, just from this past season. You're hard pressed to take a team out. The candidates that would drop out to me would be the Thunder and. I would 
put the Blazers on that list before I would put the Mavericks, just because I think the world of Luka Doncic. And so do I. But I think like, that if if Kristaps is going to miss the first half of the season and then comes back and has to rehab and do whatever, I right. don't know if they can keep pace. Right. I don't know right. if Luka by himself can keep pace. And remember, too, the Warriors are going to come back. And the Warriors are going to come back too, and that's and that is also it's a tough proposition for sure. But I guess I I, I guess I would go back to my original state. I would take the Suns at least over the Mavericks. I would take them over the Blazers. I just got to see what they look like fully healthy first. Can Zach Collins not get hurt again for most of the year? It, it, can Nurkic kind of pick up his play that he showed in the bubble? Um, Dame Lillard's going to be Dame Lillard. I'm not worried about CJ McCollum, but my, my whole thing is this Suns team is so well constructed and keep in mind, Abdul Nader is not a throw in. I really do think he could get some minutes with, uh, with this team, but with how the Suns are constructed now, I really do think they're a legitimate playoff team. Um, how far, how high they'll get up in the standings, we'll see. We also can't forget, because we're going to be talking about them in a little bit, the Houston Rockets also have a huge chance of falling out as well, especially yeah. if Harden and Westbrook are both gone before the season starts. So I I still kind of like the Suns probably in that 6th to 8th seed range, to be honest. Well, like, see, this is where it gets interesting, because so say, say that the, the top three seeds stay the same, right? Say it's Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets. Right, which I okay. I think they are a class above the other Western Conference teams, right? Yes. The so if the Suns pull the Lakers and the Nuggets, I think that the Lakers and the Nuggets win just because I think Aiton and Bridges are the two major factors there in terms of being able to keep pace with the bigs and keeping able to main like contain uh, Anthony Davis or Jokic. I think like that's the big those are the big key factors there. Cause obviously as great as Booker is, as great as Chris Paul is, there's a lot of great wing defenders on both of those teams and both of those rosters. Right. But, but if they pull the Clippers, the Clippers lack of bigs and skilled bigs does concern me. Yeah. Especially I, if they lose Montrez Harrell this summer too, who was already getting killed by Jokic in the playoffs. <laughs> Right, and Anthony Davis and LeBron in those regular season games. But even then, the if 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 the Suns pulled the Clippers, I could see them beating the Clippers pretty handily too. I don't know if, if I'd say pretty handily, but I could I could see a world in which a Chris Paul led Phoenix Suns team does beat the Clippers. Well, you got to think of like how smart Chris Paul was, Chris or Chris Paul is right. The mm-hmm. being able to attack a defense at their weak point, and when you have the Clippers who have a huge gaping hole in the middle. Avita yep. Zubak is not stopping DeAndre Ayton <laughs> no, or, De- or Devin no, Booker not. going to the basket. No, they're no, they are not. And <laughs> and we saw in the bubble when the Suns played the Clippers, the the Suns threw Kawhi and Paul George at Devin Booker, and he still roasted them. So Devin Booker has the ability to roast even the best perimeter defenders the league has to offer. Right, and then now again, that's without an elite playmaker like Chris Paul. Yeah. So that, and that's with the entire defense knowing Devin Booker has to have the ball. So now yeah. when you ha- when you play it where you don't know Devin Booker can hit you in again like any we're saying on the floor. any spot on the floor without needing the ball, it makes that job 10 times harder. Plus again that pick and roll with all all the Nuggets did to beat the Clippers was run pick and roll. 
<laughs> yeah, they they ran drip. They ran pick and roll. They basically did the Yoki 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 Jokic Murray. I tried to combine their names together. The Jokic Murray two man game, whether it was dribble handoffs or pick and roll, they just ran that to death on the Clippers. <laughs> and all it was was either Zubak or Harrell getting lost defensively. Yep. Yeah, and. It made it made the game so easy. And, and when again, you think about the spacing with Cam Johnson and Mikel Bridges, although his shot is still kind of wonky, he's starting to come around, especially on corner three pointers. And they're both fantastic cutters. And the, exactly. And then it's you could def for the starting five at least you could definitely see how this is going to work out, and you could definitely see what Monty Williams is going to draw up because I think Monty Williams is a good coach. Also, we can't forget about that part. Um, kind of. Kind of got discredited. In, yeah, he, exactly. Chris Paul always talks about the how he'd get excited for plays that Monty drew up when he was with the now back then New Orleans Hornets, and um, and so now that they're back together again, you could just imagine the stuff Chris Paul is thinking about right now in terms of how the roster is going to look off in an offensive set. So, yeah, very very excited. Uh, so, but shout out to Sam Presti. Sam Presti now has a war chest. Of- I'm going to be like, I was always into team building, but when the Sixers went through the process, team building was about the only thing I can get into <laughs> because, you know, we, I literally have a rights to Ricky Sanchez shirt. Shout out to that podcast that has all of the players that have been through the process, all the undrafteds, the 10 day contracts we've signed, et cetera, et cetera. Team building was about the only thing I was uh, that <laughs> I could get into uh, at that point. But I want to list you before we move on the just the war chest of assets Presty has. Twenty twenty, he has the Nuggets' first round pick and the Lakers' first round pick. Well, the Lakers can't trade it because they already traded a bunch of their picks, so they're going to have to pick a player, then trade that player on draft night. But they have, for all intents and purposes, they have the Lakers' first round pick. Twenty twenty one. They have their own first round pick. They have the Heat first round pick, and they have a Houston pick swap. That might be really good, depending on what happens to Westbrook and Harden. 2022, own first, Clippers first, Suns first. 2023, own first, Clippers pick swap, Heat first. 2024, own first, Clippers first, Houston first. 2026, their own first round pick, Clippers first round pick, Houston Rockets first round pick. The OK, OKC owns like 20% of the first round picks that are coming up in the next five years. And I am very excited to see what Sam Presti is going to do with it. Right. And again, like we said, it does really bode well for them moving forward, given how stacked these next three drafts are, are going to be. Uh, the thing that I do want to point out is draft picks don't always mean anything. I mean, we had the Celtics and, uh, you know, the Nets kind of having the Nets balls for a long time and having all of those, <laughs> all of those draft picks. Right. And, yeah, and, and it's not, it wasn't as good as we thought it could be. Well, so I'm looking at it now. So when you look at it, I think they have good picks, right? So they, I mean, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown, obviously Jason Tatum, you know, that's about it. When you look at these, looks like 15 or 16 draft picks over the course of you know six years and it's not a ton it's not a ton but it at the end of the day it is about hitting 
the ones that count, right? So... Right. But I think like I think the problem that you had in Boston and the problem that you had, you know, with all those picks was Danny Ainge never really pulled the trigger on maximizing those draft picks. Like yeah. I think there was there, there was a lot of cold feet on making big trades or making sort of big swings with these picks. I think they valued them a little too much. That also depends on because like with Anthony Davis is the most prominent one everybody was coming up with. Didn't sound like Anthony Davis wanted to come to Boston. Um no. even though you could have just you still could have that you could just pull the trigger anyway and get him in your system for a year and see how it goes. But then you're, you know, ass out of assets, right? And uh then Jimmy Butler, that was another big one. Um I definitely well, like you got to think about it, right? Like, so if you trade for Anthony Davis, which was the big kind of thing, right? Mm. Uh, you give up, obviously you wouldn't give up Tatum, but you'd give up maybe Jalen Brown. And then these three, these four picks from last year, Romeo Langford, Matisse Thibel, which they did trade to Philadelphia, uh, mm. Grant Williams, Tremont Waters, Robert Williams. Like they're not, those aren't great picks. I mean, I no. like I like Thibel, but I mean, he, they traded him anyway. But I mean, the what are you really getting? And like to me, to me, it was just a waste of the amount of assets that you had. If they're just sitting there and you're, it's like playing the lottery, right? Like, yeah. right, do I want to do I want to play the lottery and play these draft picks that I hope turn out right, or do I want to trade them for established thing that I know what I'm getting, right? Right. So I mean. And- and, and again, like it's a it's a philosophical thing. It's how much you trust your, how much you trust your department. scouting department, how much you trust your front office to make uh, smart decisions if trades of value come up. Um, I also think just I think to, they ran out of time personally. Yeah, and also to be fair, I do want to point out real quickly. I do think because uh, I think about this a lot with my team and how they've absolutely took their assets and lit <laughs> it to asunder. It is still at the end of the day about hitting the ones that hit, right? So Jason Tatum, he's I have him right now as a tier 1.5 franchise player on the cusp of being a tier one franchise player. Um, so that pick obviously hit. I think Jalen Brown, while his playmaking and his off-ball defense still needs to improve, he's still one of the best three and D wings in the NBA. And wing versatility in the NBA is never a bad thing to have. So they did hit on some pieces, but yes, they could have made the most out of it. And it'll be interesting to see what Sam Presti now does because he's loaded. And not only that, they have Steven Adams expiring contract they can get off of. And they have a bunch of more expirings they can flip into even more picks. So it'll be it'll be fun to see what happens. Right. Uh, yeah, totally agree with that. And so like this is another thing too. Again, I don't want to be a Laker fanboy, but the thing is that when you look at what the Lakers did, no, be a Laker fanboy. When you think about the, when you look at what the Lakers did, the last four drafts they haven't had nearly the draft capital that the Celtics or any of the other kind of bigger teams that are that we talk about having draft capital have. But I mean, they they ended up with Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, Larry Nance Jr., Brandon Ingram, Evita Zubak, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma, and these aren't these are a lot of these were some. I mean, obviously with Russell Ingram and Ball, those are you know second second overall picks. But the thing was that 
the real value. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, even too. The thing is, when you look at the the later picks, those are all guys that are starting or solid rotation guys in the league still that they got value for. Yep. And that's Larry Nance Jr. Even. Yeah. I mean, that to me, that's a huge win for the organization. And that's a huge thing for your scouting department. That's a way that you use draft picks. Right? And like, it led up to you guys getting Anthony Davis. Granted, right. it was you granted you guys also had the fourth pick to or the Pelicans winning the lottery had a lot to do with it also. Right. But the Lake the Lakers had built up enough hit on enough picks and had some picks of their own and they went all in and look where they're at now. So uh, speaking of the Lakers, um what is your What's your take on uh, Dennis Schroeder going to the Lakers? Uh, I have oh, some I thoughts myself, but I know <laughs> I, you. I know you are. I'm pretty sure you're pretty. Uh, I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'm pretty sure you're probably excited about this. Uh, I am excited. So to me, I, I wrote this big thing, and it's. I wrote a long thing on on. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote this huge thing to explain to people because everyone kept messaging me like, "Well, how do you feel about this?" So I just wrote this big thing and I posted it on social media. And so the the first line is Dennis Schroeder is not a Danny Green replacement. He's a Rondo replacement. He's an upgrade in some ways. Oh, 100%. A, and a downgrade in others. There's just some general concerns. My TLDR is Schroeder and Rondo are similar types of players, but uh, Schroeder is seven years younger. And trading Danny Green and letting Rondo go in free agency allows the Lakers to save some money and possibly go after players like Serge Ibaka, Danilo Gallinari, or help retain KCP. Also, there's some stuff with Dennis Schroeder just about how much he'll pick up the pace. He was part right. of the he's also a part of the infamous OKC lineup that was one of the clutchest lineups in NBA history with Chris Paul, SGA, um, Schroeder, Gallinari, and Steven Adams. And Schroeder played a big part of that. Um, he's a I think he's an immediate upgrade over Rondo for the regular season. Now, whether there's a playoff Dennis Schroeder versus playoff <laughs> Rondo, <laughs> who that's knows? The question, right? But that's the big that's, question. That's the, that's the big question. Schroeder, the, the extent of Schroeder's big games were getting LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, that's and that's about it. And even then, his role was getting phased out. He wanted out. So this is obviously an upgrade, I think, for the regular season. But in the yes. playoffs, we'll see. Um, will his will his shooting be a concern uh, for the Lakers? Also, he has hasn't had the best reputation. No, as, last year was an outlier. He was shot. He shot. He shot thirty eight. He shot thirty eight percent from three last year. Is right. that sustainable? So his, so like, his catch and shoot three point percentage last year was in the eighty seventh percentile. Yeah. So uh, here's here's the last one. Like here's the last couple years of him. Right. So twenty starting in twenty thirteen and going up. His catch and shoot three point percentile, right? Twenty two percent, thirty three percent, three percent, twelve percent, one percent, six percent, and then eighty seven percent last year. Is that a statistical outlier? I that's <laughs> it. It could be. I mean, there's two factors, right? <laughs> one one was he got uh he was pretty inconsistent minutes wise over the course of this year. He was thirty third percentile in terms of minute consistency over game to game. Uh, so a little less playing time. The thing was that uh, he had really good box plus minus this year. Again, like like you're talking about in the lineups that he was in, they had some record setting uh, record setting performances. The thing with him is that he before this year, a lot of his shots were coming off the dribble, 
where this is the first year where he really did shoot uh catch and shoot a, a big part of his shot died right to so catch he uh and he's use. shooting he's shooting 3.9 percent or 3.9 catch and shoot threes to every one uh pull up yep so to me that's a huge kind of indicator better. that it might be somewhat real like there might right. be something and it's in also there. it's also a big indicator of the effect of chris paul like having an elite playmaker on the floor with you at all times which bodes well for schroeder now being with lebron james yeah i was gonna say well the lakers have somebody who might be the greatest ever at doing that (laughs) right so like it doesn't to me it's not a huge drop off to to say like well it's only chris paul okay and then we have lebron like it's not a big deal you know what i'm saying like that's it's not a huge it's not a huge thing the thing the concern with me is the pick and roll scoring is pretty bad which uh rondo ran a ton of pick and roll with anthony davis and that was kind of a bread and butter when lebron wasn't in the game Yep. Uh, so I'm that's going to be the big question: is is a Schroeder Anthony Davis centric lineup when LeBron's on the bench? Is that going to be as effective as having Rondo there, who might not be as aggressive as a scorer or a three point, or he might not shoot, or you know, Rondo shot like a thousand percent from three in the playoffs? But is Schroeder as good of a playmaker? Is he a more effective scorer at the rim? Who knows? Who knows how that'll shake out? So the thing that gives me some uh room to for you know to be a little less concerned about it is that he is going to be sharing minutes with with on the floor with caruso most likely so it's not like he is the only playmaker and ball handler on the floor at all times no yeah and so so you know if you have caruso there to help share the load and then if he's not on the floor lebron is with him as well that gives you know we always have two on the floor at the same time so there's some there's some assistance there. I don't believe in Schroeder as a primary ball handler like we did with Rondo, but I do think that, you know, as long as we're appropriately matching him with another person that can help, I think we'll be fine. But, but I, I mean, do think, I, like to me, to me, the biggest upgrade here is defensively. Yeah. Yeah. Rondo could not slide his feet anymore and stay in front of anything. Nope. He could not. He could not. And even in the playoffs, like, there were times where you saw flashes of old Rondo, um, especially when the Lakers would put together these quarters against Miami where they're just flying all over the place. And even Rondo was, you know, doing his usual, his patent and play the passing lanes and being a pest on that end. Schroeder is just, he's seven years younger. He's at this point just a better defender just by default. But he um, does play similarly to Rondo. I don't think he's as yes. smart as Rondo, but he does, he has that long wingspan and those big hands, and he is able to go ahead and play passing lanes in almost the same way. Again, the only reason he's not as good as it is at it is because of his... He's not the uh, basketball savant that, that Rondo is, right? But again, when you're on the floor with a LeBron James who can help you see those tendencies and help you figure it out, I think he'll be fine. And then, like you said, the Lakers could also now... They can retool their roster a little bit. I mean, Avery, Avery Bradley declined his player option, so he might not be back, but the Lakers can also look at Serge Ibaka. Or remember we were talking about before, Danilo Gallinari said he'd be willing to take less money to play for a contender this year. Um, Jeremy Grant declined his player option, and so he's going to be a free agent this summer. So so the, so the early favorite for the Lakers to sign, just I, I would assume just due to cost and... Uh, defensive capability is Wesley Matthews. 
And that Wesley Matthews was also the other name that I saw brought up, who is also, I think, a better player than Avery Bradley. Uh, at this uh, point in their frankly, career, yeah. At this point in their careers. Um, it, so that's another that's another one, is Wesley Matthews could take less money to sign with the Lakers. Um, the Lakers, are, for somehow, in <laughs> some way, the Lakers are still in a prime position to, one, obviously, they're going to keep LeBron and Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is just probably going to sign a one-and-one and so we can get that 10-year eligibility for a Supermax. Yeah. Um, and then the Lakers can still retool with better players. It's kind of wild in the, the position that there are in right now. You should, you're probably ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, and again, it goes back to what we were talking about last week with the salary cap the way it is, that a lot of teams don't have the room. So the contenders that are able to give out these smaller contracts, these small one-year deals or, you know, exceptions come, all come, that. come get a ring the the come get a ring deal is uh <laughs> yeah. is is going to be strong yeah yeah uh for sure um so enough musing about your team it's time to go to my team because i have oh, some with the real with the real spice with the real spice so top of the show harden james harden Superstar, gore, extraordinaire, perennial MVP candidate for the Houston Rockets, has been wanting out. He has made his destinations clear. It's either Brooklyn or Philadelphia. Now, Houston has said that they are committed to keeping Westbrook and Harden together, but I think that's, that's just I just I think that's broke boy Tillman Fertitta leaking out stuff uh to try and, you know, salvage and hopefully keep them, although once those two start leaking stuff to Shams and Woj, like it's 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 done. So there's two destinations Harden wants to go to. We'll get to Westbrook later, but Harden is the better player and is a tier one franchise player. So we're going to talk about him first. One, which destination do you like for Brooklyn, Harden? For Harden, Brooklyn or Philadelphia, and. Once you answer that, I want to get into trade packages because you had some takes that I have been sitting on pre-show that you had <laughs> that I was sitting on pre-show that I had to think about, and I have some thoughts on that. So I think both are interesting. I think obviously the interesting thing is if he goes to Brooklyn, if they can make it work, right? If Steve Nash can imbue some Steve Nash-ness into Kyrie, <laughs> it's deadly. And it's and if if Harden turns into Thunder James Harden, where he's playing off ball, he has the floaters, he's driving to the basket. That's terrifying. Uh, yeah. And Kevin I think, Durant, you can put Kevin Durant anywhere. I it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. matter with Kevin Durant. Even I, I don't know how you feel about his injury. I know it's an Achilles. It's a concern for sure, but I think Kevin Durant's game is just going to age beautifully. So I'm not too concerned about it. I guess Kevin, maybe naively. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant can can set shot over most players. Okay, <laughs> yeah, he's not. He doesn't need to jump or do anything. But uh, yeah, he doesn't concern me again. So for me, if they can make it work, and it's a big if because I don't know, like Harden can't can't dribble and play iso ball. He can't play Harden ball, Maury ball in Brooklyn 
with Kyrie and Durant. It's just, it won't work. But if mm-hmm. they can make it work, and it, we know that Harden has this in his game because we saw it early in his career. And he's a inc- he's a genius level passer too. Right. So if we can see a little bit of that and it works, then obviously I think Brooklyn is the place for him to go. The easier plug and play move is to just put him in Philadelphia where he can continue to play what he wants to do, do what he wants to do. He's back with Daryl Morey. He's, you know, Doc Rivers is going to let him do his thing. And then Embiid can, you know, it, Embiid's an, uh, an upgrade, obviously, to Clint Capella and Dwight Howard from what, you know, when he played with Dwight Howard. To say the least. Right. So, you know, this it'll work perfectly fine. It's They can just rebuild the current Houston Rockets in Philadelphia with hopefully better contracts and, and hopefully move some pieces around. But, you know, obviously Ben would have to go in, in that trade package. But I don't know. To me, the easier way is Philadelphia and to the the more enticing but risky way is to go to to the Nets. Okay, At least so, in my mind. so okay, I agree with most of what you're saying. Um I if Harden did go to Philadelphia, I don't think it would be exactly like how the Houston Rockets will were ran. Um I do think James Harden would go back to running a bit more pick and roll. And just unlocking, not unlocking, but repolishing or reintroducing himself to the other parts of his game. Like he's a great picker. The last time James Harden's uh, amount of possessions, the last time James Harden ran a good chunk of his possessions as a pick and roll ball handler was 2016, 2017, where he ran pick and roll 40% of the time. And he was a 90th percentile pick and roll ball handler. And obviously, the last few years, the frequency has dropped lower and lower and lower as the Rockets have evolved into just iso ball and Harden. You know, the step back three is one of the greatest shots invented in in the sports history. So Maury went all in more and more on that every year. Harden was still in the 80th percentile with as little pick and roll as the Rockets ended up running towards the end of this era. So I think, one, it's a seamless fit. The Sixers cannot get Harden without trading one of Simmons or Embiid. So Ben Simmons is probably, is, I'm going to have to grip with the fact that Ben Simmons is going to go, and I'm going to lose a longstanding bet that I have with my friends, some of whom are listening to this podcast right now. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I'm going to have to accept that. But I'm very intrigued, obviously, with the Harden-Embiid duo because obviously it's a cleaner fit, but I want to see... I've seen some stuff in Hemming and Hine. There's some... I'm a Ben Simmons enthusiast, but there are Ben Simmons enthusiasts who would say Ben is the better player than Embiid, and I am not with that at all. If you're talking about long-term because of health, I could understand taking Ben Simmons over Embiid, but having... Harden and Embiid and unlocking Embiid as a role man is just something the Sixers haven't done yet. And I know over the years, Embiid has been vertically challenged. He's been more groundbound, but I also think he hasn't had the opportunity to be a role man or run pick and roll frequently. The Sixers were consistently under Brett Brown's era, one of the least frequent pick and roll teams in the NBA. 2016-17, they ran 12% of their possessions were pick and roll. That's 29th. 
2017-18, 30th, 2018-19, 29th, 2019-20, 29th. And a lot of that was personnel because Embiid's best point guard, not named Ben Simmons, who we did, really didn't run pick and roll with anyway, was Sergio Rodriguez in 2016-17. And that was, ironically, Embiid's best stats he posted as a role man. So having a dynamic guard like James Harden is going to make Embiid so much more better. He, he, he can actually throw an entry pass. Embiid can pop out for easier threes. There should be more spacing. Obviously, having Harden coming downhill off of a screen is scary as hell, especially when you got a 280-pound guy rolling to the rim. I'm excited about this. It sucks that we might have to give away Ben Simmons, but obviously, as big of a Ben enthusiast I am, I have him as a Tier 1.5 franchise player. It's a no-brainer. If the Sixers have to give up Ben Simmons to get James Harden, you have to do it. There is no... There is, you can argue, okay, a Harden and B duo, the window is shorter, but the Sixers never had a title window, let alone a playoff window after this season to begin with, <laughs> As, especially after how we saw the, how the season ended last this past season a couple of months ago. So we would have not just a playoff window, a title window would be open for the first time in forever. If the Sixers could somehow finesse Tillman for Tito, as Kendrick Perkins like to call, <laughs> likes to call him. Um, if they can somehow finesse getting Harden out of Houston without giving Ben and Joe up, I have, I have no problems. Figure out a way to do that. But it's pretty impossible. You have to give Ben one of those two up. And I think Ben Simmons is the odd guy out. And I think a Harden and B duo is a scary proposition for the rest of the East. I completely agree with that. I think, the again, we're... We, it's all with the Lakers where the not just not just the 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 skill and the three point shooting, but it's the size and the bully ball still works as long as those guys those big guys are athletic and have the 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 skill to to shoot threes and to pull it out and like it's the size with the skill, right? It's not just yeah, the skill. Exactly. And so when you have someone like Embiid and even Tobias Harris. Oh, and are, that's the other thing too. Tobias Harris, he could easily make up 50% of that contract in terms of value just by right. getting shots off of Harden and Embiid's offense. So again, like when you have guys like that, it's essentially what the Lakers did. You just play bully ball where you have Harden run point like you did, like LeBron did. Obviously Harden isn't the bully that LeBron is, but he has... Oh, he's he has, but he's big. He has the strength and can right. move people around. Yeah, and he and he has the the game like LeBron, where he's just driving to the basket and he's asserting his will offensively. And so, when you have that ability, you can just beat up on teams and unlock and beat in a way that you've never had before. Uh, where you're just playing down low and you're you're giving him a, you're giving the ball to him on the block and letting him go. The problem you couldn't do that with before was because then it, it Ben Simmons doesn't create any kind of spacing for and. And not an ability for you to be able to do that and so now you have that ability with you know with Harden you have that ability to do that Uh, so again it's an exciting proposition the thing is again is whether or not well like to me the Nets thing is just more interesting because they are more dynamic and it does give them a lot more flexibility to to move but I can see the appeal for Harden to want to go there and and or go to the nets and be 
not just one of the stars, but the star still. Before we get to the trade packages, because I wanted to ask you to expand on your flexibility thing, because um, I might have uh, I might have a few disagreements there on that. Um, like were you like you were saying, the Joel and B James Harden fit offensively is a cleaner fit. Now I will always defend that the fit of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid was never the problem in Philadelphia. It was the roster around it. The offensive fit wasn't perfect, but it was fine. And I think nobody talks about how great of a fit they are defensively together. Uh, oh, they're they're an awesome for, defensive unit. Everybody wants to talk about how we got to look at the game beyond offense and there's another half of the quarter, whatever. Everybody conveniently forgets that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are an amazing fit together defensively. But... It, there is something to be said about having your two best players be involved in plays more often. And it was more so in the first season of the Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons era where they were involved in a lot of plays together because they had the shooting and spacing around him, but they never had the ball handlers. The best point guard was Sergio Rodriguez. Now the Sixers are to a point where they've lit a tire fire to their assets so badly that unfortunately they might have to give up. They're going to have to give up Ben Simmons to get somebody like a James Harden when they could have maybe had all three, if they had just played their assets, even, even made two or three decisions differently, which is also disappointing, but I want to get back to your trade package thing. So I want you to expand on what you mean by flexibility, more flexibility with the Nets package. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give you the floor because I have some thoughts on that. So, all right, let me let me bring up the Nets salary cap table here. All right, so look, the I think we're in agreement that to trade for Harden, the Philadelphia, Philadelphia would have to give up Ben Simmons. Maybe some draft picks and some filler. Yes. Right? Like we're in agreement that that is the, that is the package, right? Yes. So, and for me, at least the way that I was seeing it, the Nets would have to give up like Karis LeVert, Spencer DeWittle, Jared Allen. Dinwiddie. Yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I, I, I was calling him DeWittle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> Karis LeVert. Too many eyes in the name. Right. <laughs> So it's it's Karis LeVert, uh, DeWittle, or DeWitty, Dinwitty, uh, <laughs> Jared Allen, and then maybe some draft picks, mm-hmm. and and maybe maybe a filler or two. But those like those are your core, like, your three big young pieces, and then uh, like picks to yes. get all, to get a James Harden. Like you have to clear the farm. Yes. So to me. It comes down to if you're the Rockets, do you want to build around Ben Simmons? Right? Is mm-hmm. Ben Simmons your guy and you want to build around the future of Ben Simmons with whatever draft picks you can get and then however you can refuel your your draft capital, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to take all these three young talented Nets guys cuz I think Le- I love LeVert I, think I love Le- Levert too. I did a I, whole video on him. <laughs> Loved him since Michigan. I love Levert. I think Jared Allen has a lot of potential, and I think Spencer Dewitty has, like, I think he is a top tier kind of starting point guard. I don't think he's a like one of the best of the best, but I think he is in that top echelon of you would trust him to run your team for a long period of time. Like, I think he is a long standing starting point guard for your team. 
Right. I wouldn't say he I wouldn't say Dinwiddie's a starting point guard. I definitely think he's one of the better guards in the league. I think I just think he is not a good enough three-point shooter to take as many shots as he does off the dribble and I also think that he's just not he's not as he averaged 7 assists but I think his main call is scoring and I just don't think he's that efficient of a player to be a starting point guard. He's definitely a good bench player. I love Karis LeVert. My problem with Karis LeVert is going to be always injury. The health, yeah. The health, yeah. The health is always going to be a concern with me. Jared Allen, I think, is going to be a really good center for a long time, starting center. Right. So, okay. So, getting back to the thing, again, it goes back to do you want to build around Ben Simmons with whatever assets you can pull together? Because, again, you're not going to be able to pull much. You're going to get, if you're getting Ben Simmons, you're only going to get me one maybe two draft picks, if that, from the Sixers, right? You're not going to get a lot of draft capital or a lot of assets besides Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is the key package there. Where with with the Nets, you're going to get Karis LeVert, Spencer DeWittle, and Jared Allen, and then maybe a few more draft picks than you would get from Philadelphia, at least in my mind, of what you w- it would take. So, so, so to me, when you have those three options, you have an option of, do I want to build around Karis LeVert? And and Jared Allen as a as a core, do I want to trade DeWittle? Do I want to trade all three of them for more draft capital to to get back some of these assets that I lost in the Chris Paul and Westbrook and all the other major trades they've made in the last three years to try to make this work? And so it's it goes back to do you want to start from scratch or do I want to have a piece that I'm building around with not a lot around with not a lot to use? You know what I'm saying? It's the flexibility of saying, okay, I have these three pieces that I can get rid of or trade or whatever. If I trade for Ben Simmons, I'm building around Ben Simmons. This is my plan now. This, See, is, I, this is what I, I'm doing. I guess I question the level of flexibility that you have in your trade package because I think Karis LeVert at max is going to be the third best player on a championship team if he reaches his ceiling. The second best, uh, possibly. Um, also... The Sixers have their first round picks back starting next year in 2021. And we still have early second round picks from the Knicks and the Hawks. And so my uh, buddy, Ty Windish over at Blue Wire, he proposed a trade on, it is honestly one of the more realistic Sixer trades that I like. So the trade would be James Harden and the Sixers would get James Harden and Robert Covington and the Rockets in return would get Al Horford, Ben Simmons, New York's second round pick, which I think is the 34th pick in this year's draft. Um, They would also get the Knicks 2021 second round pick, which looks to be another high second rounder. They would get our Oklahoma City pick this year because we got Oklahoma City's top. It fell out of the top 20, so we get their pick. And then a 2023 round two pick and our first round pick in 2022. I think that offer blows the Nets offer out of the water and when you're talking about flexibility i don't want to be all like well ben simmons is the matrix but ben simmons is kind of the definition of flexibility to me because he doesn't have a position he's this uber versatile player and you can build any type of team as long obviously as long as you build it around him and so that's why i think ben simmons and horford a deal based around that would get it done al horford's last the last year on Al Horford's deal is partially guaranteed. So it's basically an expiring contract. 
So it'd be easier to move down the road. And I don't know. And I also look at it from a Rockets perspective. If you're looking at the Nets trade package that you proposed versus this one, I don't know one as an owner that's allegedly broke like Tillman Fertitta is. I don't know how you could sell him on the idea of trying to make money by putting out a a B-team Brooklyn Nets roster on the court that's not going to make the playoffs. Um, you could probably move those guys down the road, but then you're you're basically going in full rebuild mode. And well, that's I, what I'm saying. And that, I act and point. I and I think if you're gonna go with a rebuild or a soft rebuild to start over, Ben Simmons is a guy I would absolutely build my team around. I think Ben Simmons is a fantastic player. I have him as a top 15 player right now um, in the tier 1.5, of course, which I will be doing a video on soon, kind of like a fighter game tier character tier list. I'm going to do a style of yeah, that for NBA awesome. players. Um, I love stuff like that. I've, I've, I've made one before. We, we, should, we should make our own and discuss them on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is definitely another episode that we can do. Um, but... I think Ben Simmons is the type of player if you're the Rockets and you're it's obviously insane to train trade an all-time offensive weapon like James Harden. But if you're going to do it, you have to start around somebody like Ben Simmons who is the definition of flexibility. You could put all kinds of players around him. Now, I wouldn't recommend putting 50,000 power forwards around him who can't shoot and like the same spots on the court <laughs> as Ben Simmons, but it having Al Horford uh, in this trade with Simmons gives them the center that is a perfect fit can stretch the floor can play make Al Horford is still a good player declining player but the role he had in Philadelphia did play some part in his poor play on top of the fact that he's older but if you build a package around that with picks down the road and if you keep Eric Gordon if you keep Daniel House if you keep the if you basically just depending on what you get for Westbrook too the Rockets kind of have a roster that you could put around Ben Simmons. I mean, if, granted, P.J. Tucker is still there. I know he's mad because he hasn't had he, – because he feels like his contract is undervaluing him, which, fair, P.J. Tucker is 6'5 and is constantly guarding like 280-pound centers and is getting paid like $8 million a year. Beat so, up every game. I feel so is, bad. I feel so bad for him. He's like 35 years old too, and is somehow one of the most durable players in the league. Like the Rockets already have like a set piece or a set, not a set roster, but they have pieces there that they could fit around Ben and to make some moves. Ben to me is the player that's appealing and makes him because he's he's flexible in his versatility, that to me alone makes him more flexible than I guess a Nets package. Right. So here's the, here's my case, and again, I totally agree with you that Ben is the ideal player and the player that you want to start your franchise around. So if you're trading for if you're the Rockets and you're trading for Ben Simmons, to me, nothing changes from the Harden stuff of like talk, the clock is ticking now, right? And the, you're basically in the same scenario where you trade for Ben Simmons, clock's ticking, and you have a ton of bad contracts and very little draft capital. So you, how are you... Or you have very little... You have bad contracts, you have very little draft capital, and like, okay, you need to turn around this roster quickly to make it competitive. Where now if you trade for Levert... Like, to me, if you keep your roster and you have you add Levert, DeWitty, and and Jared Allen, I don't think that's a bad roster. I think that I think you can then shift 
PJ Tucker back to the four. I think you still have Eric Gordon. I see. I think you still play that out and be relatively competitive. And obviously, you're not going to be the superstar team that you're you're were before competing for championships. But you're going to be pretty pretty flexible. And I'm not talking about them giving up second round picks like you're talking about with the Sixers. I'm talking about giving up first round picks and like really going all in on this. Which I think right. the Nets would do at this point with Durant and Kyrie and adding Harden, they would go all in and really try to try to make this work. So all then this the first que- round then picks, the question would then the question would be would those first round picks even be valuable? Because a Nets team of KD, Kyrie, uh, KD, Kyrie, and Harden makes it right uh, high first rounders, and it's the same case with the Sixers too. But I just wonder how valuable that is if you're talking about the Nets versus the Sixers. Well, then that's what I'm talking about with Levert and Dewitty and Jared Allen. The clock isn't ticking as fast, and so you have more room, and you don't have to worry about Ben Simmons leaving or potentially becoming disgruntled with your lacks of lack of flexibility over time. It gives you time to get out of those bad contracts. Gives you time to to recoup some of your draft capital and then again start right. fresh with new with with younger talent rather than right. starting like if you're given a piece right away you're stuck in the same position you were before you're stuck with bad again no draft capital and bad contracts around ben simmons how do you retool this roster and then you're back into wheeling and dealing and doing all this stuff to try to make it work but mm-hmm. now you're even in a you're, you're in a worse starting spot than you were when you had harden right so okay so to me to me, it's just a thing of take a couple years break with a, a decently competitive team with Karis LeVert and Jared Allen as like kind of your your key pieces and deciding whether or not you want to you want to play around them or or build around them. It gives you more flexibility, more time to then decide, OK, these are the guys. OK, maybe we move them. Cool. Let's get more draft capital. OK, great. Let's get out of these bad contracts. Let's let these go and then kind of move away from it and start fresh. Um, it, to me, to I, me, that, that's that's your decision if you're the Rockets, right? Um, that's okay. I see what you're. I see what you're saying. I just wonder if Tillman Fertitta is going to um, go go that route uh, because he has a lot of money to make up allegedly. Um, and right, well, because he just spent a ton of money the last three years for absolutely no reason. <laughs> yeah, for no. Yeah, for no reason. Um, Leslie Alexander kind of uh, sold that team at the right time. Um, but I don't know if you've seen on NBA Twitter, there's this a Twitter account, Vin Vosh, Vin, Vin Fosh NBA. He has been getting some headway recently because he predicted Daryl Morey to, or he had sourced reporting allegedly saying Daryl Morey to the Sixers. He was one of the first who said that, although I honestly think that was just connecting the dots. But he also he also said Chris Paul's going to Phoenix a long time ago. You know how it is every summer. There's some guy on Reddit or somebody like that who is yeah, somehow right. They pop up things like that. Here's here's what he said. And now I'm totally flipping I'm totally flip-flopping and saying that I absolutely will believe this, even though I said a few days ago I'm not going to believe anything this guy tweets. <laughs> There's growing sentiment in the Philadelphia 76ers front office that James Harden can be acquired without giving up Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons. Likely pieces would be Al Horford, Matisse Thibel, Shake Milton, Zaire Smith, and multiple draft picks. That is not right. going to happen, but he has predicted two moves already, and I am sticking with that. We are not <laughs> giving up Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. <laughs> see, but, then, but see, then that goes back to my argument that my Nets play isn't is actually the better play. 
Uh, no, no, it's not. No, it is. It is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, if, if, if that's the case, if they're not giving up Ben Simmons and it's just expiring contracts, then there's no reason to not take the Nets deal. Where East Thibel is better than Karis Levert. You heard it here for <laughs> <laughs> I like Matisse Thibel. I really do. I think he's oh, a great defensive guard. <laughs> great, blo- great video blogger too. Uh, but yeah, like to to me again, it comes back to like money aside and and you know money aside and all that stuff. To me, it's just a smarter thing to take it slow because obviously, even if you get even if you are the Rockets and you get Ben Simmons, you're not challenging for the Western title. No, you're not. So why why put yourself on the clock and why put your yourself potentially deeper into a hole trying to make this work one okay so i have a question for you you waited out right you saved some money and you waited out so i have a question then for you before i want to talk about westbrook um of course but uh i wonder if ben simmons did go to the rockets does the clock actually start because i feel like just looking back on it in retrospect, and I had the I've always had this feeling in the pit of my stomach that when we started, when Brian Colangelo started, you know, trading away our young pieces like Robert Covington, Dario Saric, et cetera, et cetera, it felt like we were moving the timeline too fast on two players who were at the time 22 and 24 and expecting them to win now, win now, win now. You don't think Ben Simmons is kind of thinking to himself, or the Rockets are looking at this like, okay, let's get him under us. If you're the new coach, Steven Silas, John Lucas, those guys on the coaching staff, that you're looking at Ben Simmons as somebody who is only 24, can still develop, but understand that he is just not ready to be the best guy on a championship team right now. You Do you think Ben Simmons, because the expectation the last few years has been championship, championship, that he would actually be disgruntled if he went to Houston and had a team built around him. I haven't I bought so. much into the Joel and B Ben Simmons. There's a feud between them. I do think both of them would have maybe a epiphany if they started playing on their own teams. Like, Oh wow. Like this is nice. Like I loved playing with Joel or I loved playing with Ben, but there's more spacing or Ben Simmons is like, I can spray the ball to a bunch of three-point shooters and I can get to the rim at will with all this spacing. I do think there's some... part. I'm just asking, part of me still wonders if Ben Simmons feels like he he's a smart player. I just wonder if he realistically feels that it's a championship or bust mentality for him if he does get traded to Houston. So I think that, in my mind, players like him, players that's as talented as Ben Simmons and we want to be much, as great as him or right, with as, as much, great, with as yeah. much accolades as he has been getting, especially early in his career and how much people talk about him being a superstar early in his career. I don't, I think you, you have, you always have that mentality of like my clock yeah. is ticking. Okay. I was just, I was just checking. Um, the other half of the, the other half of the Houston's short the other line of this rocket. Yeah. The, <laughs> All right, then we'll go with that. Uh, so Russell Westbrook, um, there were some rumblings. Kevin O'Connor first tweeted this a few weeks ago that there was the Clippers had been drumming up interest in Westbrook, possibly the Knicks. And then, of course, last week, uh, Sham Sarania reported that Russell Westbrook's representatives wanted to move on. 
Um, didn't f- like the culture there. Westbrook wants the ball back in his hands like the old days in OKC after Kevin Durant left. Uh, surprise, surprise. But rather than ask you what the Rockets can get for him, because I really don't know the value that Westbrook could get at this point, especially with a player as polarizing as him. But I'm also aware that whenever people say this contract's untradeable, I'm thinking, have we not watched the last 20 years of NBA of the NBA? Like any right. contracts tradable. What are yours? Which, what are some of the best Westbrook teams you think he can be traded to some of the more viable <laughs> ones? So, so, so I have thoughts on Westbrook. So, <laughs> First off, okay. let me say, I like Russell Westbrook. I'm a Russell Westbrook fan. Me too. I think he, he, I, I love the effort. I love watching him play. I don't want him on a team. If I'm a team, I don't want him. And it's hard for me to say that because, again, I think he's great. I, I'm a fan of Russell Westbrook as a, play, as a person, as a player I like to watch. But if I'm a fan of a team, I don't want Russell Westbrook. And it comes down to his, he takes bad shots. He takes shots that he doesn't make. He has some lapses in def- defensively. He makes some, his energy sometimes leads to some careless turnovers and fouls. One of the, one of the most overrated defenders I have ever seen from a superstar position. And I, I'm not just not. Like, it comes it, down to energy. It comes down to people mistake high energy as good is, defense. People mistake him overly aggressively gambling in the passing lanes and getting a thunderous dunk as defense. He right. is one of the... I've always thought he was a bad defender. Um, and again, I'm, gonna, I'm shitting on Westbrook right now because I, I, don't, I don't think he... I think he is overrated. I am a fan of Russell Westbrook. Don't get me wrong. I love how hard he plays. I love the attitude he plays with. But man, I don't want him on a team that I like. <laughs> <laughs> a fair and, point. So I'm a I'm a Westbrook centrist. Um, so I'm a fan of Russell Westbrook. Love he is absolutely electric to watch. Loved watching him his whole career. I thought there was maybe a point where he could have been a tier one franchise player, especially earlier in his career. But at he never this, he never grew past it. He never grew past and grew to like be the veteran savvy that we expected to have he plays with the same fire and the same kind of young energy and enthusiasm which is something that i love about him but he Mm -hmm. doesn't have the his basketball iq ain't that high (laughs) and it's i I would so i think he's a smart player i think he's a very good playmaker actually but i do think situational awareness has never been a strong suit because he takes bad shots still he's one of the worst three-point shooters in nba history by just just point blank period um his free throw rate has or his free throw percentage was mysterious has been mysteriously taken to decline the last few years i will disagree with you though because i do think there are <clears throat> i do think there are teams he can play for there's one, there's one place that i would like him to go okay what's your team i want him to go to the knicks so the knicks were on my list so because to, something to me, needs to happen there right so to me the the energy, his energy, his enthusiasm, his fire in the garden would be awesome for the NBA. If fans even are allowed to come in this season. Right. <laughs> but, but like even even him in the Knicks orange and blue looks cool. Oh, and yeah. I, I would love to see that. He's a he's like that that going back to like the the 90s, like 
you know, not bad boy Knicks teams, but like, you know, the, the bully Nick teams, like the, the high energy, high motor. He's a culture. He's a culture setter. Go like, for right. sure. And, and putting him with a guy like Julius Randle, who has kind of that same kind of play style and having him imbue some of that, some of that aggression into RJ Barrett, I think would be really good. I mean, yeah, because I mean, <laughs> RJ Barrett is kind of the same. Like in terms of mentality, I think it's him and Westbrook are the same because it's he takes the game. It seems like he has like he always plays with a scowl on his face. He obviously hates losing. I I just hope Tom Thibodeau doesn't run him into the ground more than the Knicks already were last year. Like yeah. I think Barrett was averaging like over forty minutes a game, and Tom Thibodeau is going to try to av- make him average like fifty minutes if he could. <laughs> Oh, I told I was laughing. I have a I have a couple of RJ Barrett uh Prism rookie cards graded uh graded and ready to go. And I was I was telling someone, I was like, dude, depending on how this year goes, I might cash out on these on these <laughs> RJ Barrett rookie cards. My friend actually one of my best <laughs> friends actually started basketball card collecting too. And uh it, which is which is pretty funny. Um I'm gonna have to uh I'm looking into that myself. Um but I've been doing it for a, a while now, so I can help oh, yeah. you out there. But uh, um, yeah, I was I was looking at it and I was like, man, maybe I should cash out on these RJ Barrett's. <laughs> I think I think the Knicks would be a fun one. I think there is a case to be made that the Clippers will actually be a good fit for Westbrook. And I've been talking myself into this the last few days. So the ideal team around Westbrook, which he never really had in Oklahoma City, even with him and Kevin Durant, is you surround Russell Westbrook with defenders, three and D defenders, and shooting. And we talk about how last year, I think some of the problems with the Clippers offense, one, included constant load management, not enough time to build chemistry, but also there were too many cooks in the kitchen and not any one of those cooks were an advanced playmaker. Right. And I think Westbrook fits the bill for that job. Now, obviously, Ty Lue is going to be pulling his hair out if Westbrook does because Westbrook is going to keep doing some of the dumb Westbrook shit we have seen in his career. But I do think when you're talking about it, a team like the Clippers who had way too many cooks in the kitchen and not enough shots going to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard while we, we watched Lou Williams get absolutely eaten alive in the playoffs and still being left on the court to run the offense for some reason. I do think having Westbrook on the Clippers funnels the shots and the time of possession with the ball to the right players now sure i think my con- so as a laker fan i would love for the clippers to get russell westbrook the oh thing, yeah i know you the, would <laughs> the concern the concern to me was would be what they would have to give up to obtain russell westbrook they have no draft capital so they have to give up some assets in yeah terms right of young, in terms of young players or just like good bench players mm-hmm. and then it eviscerates their bench yeah, and and then at that point, they would have almost no bigs to contain Anthony Davis or Jokic, like what we were talking about earlier. Of that's how you're going to win the Western Conference at this point, right? And, the, and then the thing is, if you can get like uh, a Rajon Rondo for off the off the free agent pool, wouldn't you just rather do that? That is true. Um... I guess is one of those things where does Steve Ballmer want the star power or does he want more insurance in terms of scoring in the playoffs in case Paul George flames out again? Because I think he's Kawhi, going to. 
Kawhi's going to be there. And I have to say, as a longtime member of the Paul George fan club, Zach Lowe always called Paul George a boss. I uh, turned in my Paul George membership fan club card this year. Um, he, my boy him is, being a bust a long time ago. <laughs> I don't think he's a bust. I'll push back on the bust part. Not but bust. I think he's a choker. He he is a he was trying to be a tier one franchise player that he maybe could have pulled off in Indiana before the leg injury, but I think is now more of a one point. And I think now, honestly, he's a two or a two point five because he my boy has just come up too short too short in the playoffs now for the last few years and then he gave himself the nickname playoff p which you never do never give yourself a nickname unless you're kobe um but it's just i just th- i just see the we- i see westbrook with the clippers and i think that's a move where it could possibly fix maybe the offensive content the offensive structure a little bit um you'd probably have to bring back zubach who i think is a solid player um you're going to have to hope some that you can maybe get a big in the draft, uh, get a big in the draft to maybe kind of uh, to help supplement that. But I see Westbrook and the Clippers as a fit. I also see the Orlando Magic as a fit, just because of the the same thing. Um, granted, Jonathan Isaac's healthy. Mo Bamba actually starts showing me something and is not injured all the time. Um, I just look at that situation also, and they need somebody like a Westbrook who one can set the tone, um, set the tone offensively. You know, who's going to get the ball. Um, You don't have to piecemeal it together with DJ Augustine and Evan Fournier and trying to run a lot of stuff through Vucevic. Also, it makes Vucevic's role easier, who I think is a really good player. Um, You, I also think, uh, if Jonathan Isaac, please, if he can ever stay healthy, that's the perfect type of player you put next to Westbrook, somebody who can guard multiple positions and hit a spot up three. I like, I really like the Clippers and the Magic more so than the Knicks. I think the Knicks for me is more fun and just shaking things up because the Knicks, as we know, haven't really been. Knicks need a win. Knicks, Knicks need a win. Knicks need something to go for them. They struck out on Kevin Durant. They've been striking out on free agents. Um, Could you imagine if the Knicks got Lamelo too, and they just oh ran God. the they just ran the floor? You know, how oh fun to watch. That'd be they'd, that'd be <laughs> they'd be a tier one league pass team. That'd be that'd be such a that'd be it'd be such an odd fit. But I'm here for it, honestly. R.J. Barrett, Lamelo Ball, and Westbrook on the same team. That'd just be running. just running. <laughs> Get that to would, the basket, boys. See, see see Westbrook yelling at Lamelo Ball whenever he tries a th- a three quarter court shot. No. <laughs> They're just taking turns, taking half court shots. My yep. turn. <laughs> um, real quickly, um, I don't think you could get anything of value for Westbrook, right? At this no. point, no. Like you, you don't see like maybe the Knicks giving back like the Knicks and Nixie in fashion, giving back a pick or two for Westbrook you or anything like that. Frank Nilakila, if you want, <laughs> I think he needs to get to a good coach. Frank Nilakina. I'm still. I'm uh the island is shrinking really rapidly. <laughs> the water is overflowing, but I'm going to stand on Nilakina Island because I think he's a good <laughs> defender. And I think he has the potential to be a great defender and kind of like a secondary guard on offense. Not too special, but I just think you can't give up on that defensive ability and sure. given the situation that he's in. But um 
I, yeah, I think I, I think you I think at most you get like Neil Aquila and maybe like Kevin Knox and that's about yeah. it. Yeah, I don't think okay, yeah. So I I don't think Westbrook's contract is an albatross, but yeah, it's a you're not going to get anything back. It's not it's it's not an albatross, but it doesn't hurt given where he is in his career and the player that he is. It does exactly, not help. Yeah. Um real quickly, where where do you uh what are some of your uh teams that you see uh drew holiday going to i know there's been some there's been some trade rumors around drew holiday obviously it's looking like they're trying to clear some cap space um and also just trying to cash in on drew holiday who is one of the best the best perimeter Perimeter defenders defenders. in the the nba and also a really solid offensive player but um where do you what teams do you like him going to so the favorite so far is to the Celtics is the favorite that came out today. They would be nasty um, if the Cel- if the Celtics got Drew Holiday and somehow got off Gordon Hayward. I'd be scared if that I that was that's the swap that people are talking about of Gordon Hayward for Drew Holiday. Gordon Hayward and some picks for Drew Holiday. Yeah, that would the... be Marcus Smart, Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Robert Williams or Daniel Tice. Or you can honestly um I don't know how difficult it would be to swing a trade for Steven Adams, especially once Brown and Tatum's contracts start uh, coming in, uh, their contract extensions kick in. But the Celtics, even though, like we were talking about earlier, while they were, while we talked about how maybe they didn't maximize their asset war chest, they have been to the conference finals three out of the last four years, and they're still in the mix for to be able to maneuver and do some stuff around the draft. So Drew Holiday to the Celtics, that would terrify me. Um, If the Sixers did not get James Harden, I could see them trying to swing a trade for Drew Holiday. I honestly think nobody talks about this, but except for Sixers land, but I think Josh Richardson is the number one trade asset right now that Daryl Morey is flinging around. I think he's the only player of value um that they could trade around a, a three and d guard who is on a very 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 affordable contract for this an expiring too so a team could later maybe flip josh richardson again um also the bucks make a lot of sense for drew holiday especially since they've been in the mix for chris paul um before the uh phoenix suns trade happened if drew holiday could if drew holiday uh could take Eric Bledsoe's minutes. That's a godsend for the Bucks. Yeah. Um and those are really the only two teams I could think about right now. Um Nuggets obviously too. That would be that would be a fun one. That's more I mean pretty much pretty much any contender would love to have Drew Holiday. Yo yeah, the Mavericks and, would love to have Drew Holiday. On absolutely. Their team too. I mean, like, but again, like the tricky part with Drew Holiday and the tricky part with where we're at in the league is again, the salary cap stuff that we keep talking about. And the fact that Giannis is a free agent next year. Yeah. And the fact that these next two drafts are insane. So yeah. you, you don't want to give up too much to either take yourself out of the Giannis, uh, race. And you don't want to hurt your chances of getting one of these top kids that are coming in. So, you know, how much does this, like a, the only teams that I can think of are the ones that are on the bubble that are, wait, 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 we have something here. So, Adrian Wojnarowski, as of eight minutes ago, sources, after turning down an extension offer to become the first $50 million a year player in league history, James Harden's message to Houston is clear. Get me to Brooklyn. Rockets and Nets have been in contact, but there has been no meaningful dialogue. Oh, baby, they're going to do it. 
So it sounds like Harden it has his mindset on the Nets. Is he playing hardball? Oh my god. <laughs> is he is he hard in or hard out? Oh my god. We we have we have a pun master on the BOB podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, you, you know, hard in and hard out is going to be the the uh, chapter that's gonna be, for this. That's going to be that's going to be a headline forever now. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, trade season, baby. I'm into it. I'm into it. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we have the draft coming up in two days. There's a lot going on there. Uh, we'll, we're going to talk about that next week, and then we'll see how all these trades shake out. We should see a lot more trades on Wednesday when uh the draft happens and when all these all the stuff opens up so oh yeah for sure i'm excited can't wait can't wait all right jordan i think that's it for today any any closing thoughts any closing words um so it looks like my bet will be put off for another day (laughs) uh and i won't lose ben simmons for a week or so we'll see um harden can say whatever he wants but maury you know is probably going to be pulling some strings there but I'm excited. I'm excited, man. The second episode of the BOB podcast. Um, excited to continue this podcast and um, podcasting it with you. So I'm excited. It's all good. It's all good vibes around here. 2020 is going to be is ending on a few bright notes um, out of the crazy year we've had. So absolutely. So guys, enjoy the draft. Enjoy the start of free agency. And thank you for enjoying Box Out Man. The BOB.